0: I see this uh, truck ahead of me at a light, you know. And it's got bumper stickers all over the back. And one of them says, read the Bible. It'll scare the hell out of you. That's one bumper sticker. The next one says, uh, this is a God Squad car. And the third one says, uh, if you're going to heaven, honk. I've been trying to figure out what what the uh, philosophical and theological reasoning is behind all this. If you're going to heaven, honk. (laughs) The eyes on the world and the news and the tentacles of existence are upon you, friend. Uh, Oh, uh, one more cultural note before we get started here tonight. Good evening, Ed. Glad to see you. Hello there. And I'm here, the star of the show. I'm ready to go. And uh, I have a few cultural notes. One of them is an important cultural note. I'm glad to see that the cockroach has at last become legit. Uh, the, uh, cockroach, uh, is now, uh, the subject of a new exhibit at the Museum of Natural History. And it's entitled, The Cockroach is Here to Stay. We might as well accept it. And, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, theme of the show is the cockroach, past, present, and future. The history of and the genesis of the cockroach as we know and love him. Uh, by the way, that, uh, also brings up another cultural note related to the cockroach. And that is that, uh, I just, uh, was uh, visiting in uh, Baltimore a couple of days ago, and I noticed with great interest that Baltimore has not only accepted the presence of the cockroach as an entomological uh, fact of life, it uh, now has, and, and it was going in full blast when I was there, a cockroach show where if you have a particularly interesting breed of cockroaches that you're growing under your sink, uh, you can bring your own cockroach there, and they, they're judged Uh, just the way other great breeds are judged, on uh, agility, uh, various other aspects of the cockroach uh, quality. And uh, I don't know. I'd like to talk to the winner, you know, who grew this great cockroach, magnificent cockroach. And, uh, by the way, there is uh, now a Cockroach Breeders Society, which has uh, been announced recently, uh, where, yes, where cockroaches are bred for interesting color, Uh, (laughs) and of course there's an AKC you could have your cockroach registered and have a number (laughs) which uh, I think is all part of the uh, part of the oh one more one more cultural note that we have to bring out for those of you who are interested in history where I I feel very classical tonight I uh, this is a classical night now how you feel when you uh, the sense of history uh, the sense of the great march of mankind towards the eventual uh, unbelievable, uh, beautiful goals that we're all aiming towards, right, gang? We're all aiming towards that great goal, whatever the hell that is. And uh, and it, it it engulfs everything: the pyramids, uh, the King Tut's tomb. Uh, oh, ah! Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of cultural notes, would you please give me a little classical music there,
1: please? <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: one of my hobbies, by the way, is uh, humming with unbelievably complex classical music. It always goes over well at every concert I attend.
1: In counterpoint I do. do <laughs> do Oh, Let bom see. bom 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 This is a lyrical portion here. Here we go. Thank you. Thank you. That's very good. That's a
0: oh culture today. Uh, Did you like that? I thought you would. You have a classical mind. But, uh... I, uh, yeah, you, there's a certain kind of mind that sees things in terms of balance. Uh, you might say natural composition, the Greek ideal. You don't mind I bring these wonderful things into play here. You know what is it? The Greek ideal, don't you? That's uh, you know what the Greek ideal is—the perfect glass of Retsina. That's the Greek ideal. Perfectly chilled, exactly at the right point of its resonance impossibility. These are all classical and, uh, I might say, philosophical concepts, which I'm sure you're interested in tonight. I did want to uh, mention, however, though, that as part of the marching culture of our time, we'd like to salute a recent graduate. Sorry that... Uh, it is a summer school graduate. A recent graduate from one of our leading high uh, cultural institutions. It happens to be the Ohio Wesleyan University. And uh, I see Axis Sally just graduated... Did you ever hear of Axis Sally? Well, you've all heard of Tokyo Rose. Well, Axis Sally was the uh, Germanic, or let us put it this way, the Middle European uh, counterpart of uh, Tokyo Rose. Axis Sally just graduated at the age of 71. And uh, significantly, she took her degree in speech. And it was speech originally that got her into a hell of a lot of trouble. But uh, <laughs> she took her degree in speech and, was, uh, is, and is now doing Shakespearean readings. So uh, the culture marches on. I, I kind of feel good about that in a way. I like to see people improve their lot in life. Axis Sally, you ever, you ever hear of her? You know? Well, she broadcast from several very infamous radio stations in Europe. And uh, you know what she called herself uh, on the air? She didn't call herself Axis Sally. This was the name that... Uh, that uh, you know, bad people, as she put it, uh, called her. Actually, what she called herself was Midge at the mic. Specialized in Bing Crosby records. She really did. And, uh... <laughs> did pretty well for a while there, but then, of course, everything happened. You know how it is. I mean, you work for an outfit, it comes and goes. Uh, we also would like to mention, uh, too, that, that we'd like to salute the guy that came down in a balloon the other day. Uh... That was predictable. anybody who knows much about flying can predict he 's going to come down he ain't going to go very far but that 's the way it goes. Uh, one thing about the romantic spirit of our times, and uh, I hate to be the killjoy. Shepherd is known primarily in many circles as a major professional wet blanket of cosmic of uh, cosmic wet blanketness and uh, I hate to say it, but one of the uh, Uh, I suppose you might say characteristics of a time in which we blend both barbaric ancient uh, uh, attitudes. I think Attila the Hun would have felt pretty much at home today. A few years back, he would have been a little embarrassed, but Attila the Hun could walk right down Greenwich Street today and never get a second glance. You agree, Jerry? I mean, in his native costume, which included, you know, with the helmet, the horn sticking up the top and all that, in fact, a lot of people would stop him on the street and say, Hey, man, where you get the groovy hat? And, uh, and, uh, you <laughs> of course, Attila then would club him at insensibility, which should only be accepted on any, uh, major village street as a normal form of greeting. Uh, you know, you gotta protect your own. And, uh, I suspect that Attila the Hun would not feel it out of, out of touch with a civilization where astrology is taken seriously. And, uh, where uh, various metaphysical concepts, or such as witchcraft, are coming back into great vogue, he wouldn't feel out of place. He'd buy that. I'm, wait- I'm waiting for a few ceremonial burnings at the stake, which uh, uh, I- I'd like to see them bring back the stock. You know, fling this guy right in there, his feet sticking out, you know, with a piece of wood and all that. You know, uh, that that might uh, that might straighten out a few politicians. You know, throw them in a the stock. Uh <laughs> the thumb screw is kinda good too. I, I uh I uh think that uh that's a that's a exciting one, uh and it was quick acting too. Uh that's a goodie. Although there's others that are that are in in some ways more spectacular ultimately, but in the beginning they're kinda slow. For example, the rack. Uh the rack does not have the quick dramatic effect of the thumb screw. But ultimately it's exciting, if uh you know much about you've heard of the rack? You know what the rack is, don't you? Uh, If you've been dissatisfied with being uh, five feet three all of your life, the rack can correct that quickly. Uh, Just a mirror. You know, it's like a a curtain stretcher. You know, they clamp your feet down on one thing, you clamp your arms on the other, and then they turn the thing and your feet go one direction and your head goes the other. And uh, you get to be very tall quick. Uh, It's a a quick way. Incidentally, I I wonder whether or not the growth of the platform shoe. Uh, I, I saw one girl today, walked past me, a very tall, thin girl, and it wasn't until she got maybe 15 or 20 feet past me I realized she actually was 4 feet 9, but she had on 7-foot platforms, which she was teetering down the street in. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, she got caught in a nasty crosswind at 10th Street, and uh, she was toppled over heavily into the curb. I picked her up, and she gave me, oh, I'll tell you, uh, she was not quite the master of profanity, but she tried hard. And, uh, why, uh, <laughs> and she had platform shoes, though, that were so high that they had hand holes going up the side. So she could get up to the top and strap them on. This is WOR New York, friends. And, uh, yes, it is. There's no question about it. And we're in an RKO General Station. We say proudly and ringingly. My <laughs> George. Uh, would you please hit the money button? One thing we're known for. Hit it, please. Please, uh, thank you, Ed. Uh, there it goes into the slot, and here it comes.
2: They say there's a time in life for everything. Yes, there is. For Dubinet, the time is before.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, before, before what? <laughs> before. You're the the time
0: some wines are made to go Love with lunch or dinner. Do. Some after. Love but Dubanay tastes different because it's made to go before
1: before the Sing steak, together steak.
0: Before whatever you've got. Oh, drink. steaks. Just particular rocks. Add a twist. Before the steak, like. that's like saying before the gold took Made to make what comes after Love
1: that do. much better.
2: Yeah. All together. Oh, yeah. Oh. The Dubinet
0: Company, New York, New York. Yes, the Dubinet Company. Uh, let's see. We have here uh, a couple of other goodies to land. Yes, uh, you have you seen those uh, shoes that are so high you got to climb up the side to put them on? Yeah, they got little hand holes, little, little pegs sticking out like telephone poles, you know? And uh, I, I wonder whether or not uh, this is a subconscious desire for people to be bigger than they are. Uh... Because after all, let's, you know, there's a, there's a theory about fashion that says that fashion follows subconscious desire. Listen carefully, gentlemen. Fashion follows subconscious desire, and that means that uh, if uh, you uh, if uh, you say, for example, happen to be inextricably drawn to uh, wearing a leather cloak. That covers you from head to foot and has little eye holes for you to look out of, and uh, your shoes consist of large clanking, uh, hollowed-out iron ingots. Uh, you have a subconscious desire, friend, uh, <laughs> to uh, to dig a hole and hide in it, and uh, this uh, this uh, is not necessarily. Uh a uh, a facetious remark and I wonder whether or not uh, since it is a fact that almost everybody today you know whatever you see uh, in models uh, when you see uh, when you see pictures uh, you know in the elegant uh, the Vogue Mademoiselle 17 charm all those various type magazines all these girls are 19 feet tall and, and maybe have waists of about uh, you know six seven inches you seen that well it ain't easy if you're four feet three to achieve this, now if you can get a seven-foot-high pair of shoes, you have almost done it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all subconscious as so they go teetering down the way. But our uh, subconsciousness is so dull. We got to speak of the consciousness, the here and now. And what is it that's here and now with us at all times, clinging to us like barnacles? You're right. Commercials,
2: here it, it is. Serpico was a cop. Serpico is a mean book. Mean cop. The new national bestseller about Frank Serpico, the honest cop who almost died to stay that way. <laughs> the cop who triggered the Knapp Commission and blew the lid off police corruption in the oh. New York City Police Force. Superman. The cop who defied the system. Peter hey, Moss the wrote system. Serpico. system. <laughs> and his double-barreled biography has even more bite, more excitement, and more drama than his last big bestseller, the Valachi Papers. Oh, he gets it. Meet but... Frank Serpico, the loner who chose books, travel, and opera, and attracted beautiful women. The man who fought bribery, graft, and corruption for five long, lonely years. In Serpico. The book the Los Angeles Times calls extraordinary. And the New York Post calls frightening. Newsweek says, if Serpico is not yet a household word, it will be. Get Serpico by Peter Moss. The dynamite bestseller from the Viking Press. (sighs) Now exploding at your bookstore.
1: Oh, God.
0: It's fantastic. Uh, let's see, uh... DuBernet, Cerdicol, Barclays. Oh, yes, I, I wanted to uh, carry this. Little you can hold those next two spots in abeyance. Cancel number four, please. And then we will stick with number three. Now, well, what I would like to... Uh, I hate to be uh, the realist in the crowd here. Uh, what with Axis Sally getting a degree in speech. And... Uh, and uh, the the Great Shoe Trauma of the 1970s. Hey, I met a guy who already has finished a book about the good old days, the 60s. <laughs> well, of course you realize that nostalgia today is anything that happened before last Wednesday. Uh, yes, uh, this, is, uh, uh, this is a this is a this is a fact of our time, and, and I'm putting this on uh, on record. Uh, so that future historians, when they dig up the tape of the show, will know that at least one po- one person pointed out that uh, our our memories are so short in our time—that is the time we live now—that we cling to yesterday, and I mean literally yesterday. If it's uh, if if it's uh, say Thursday, uh, you cling to Wednesday as being part of the beautiful Fustian golden past, and it was kind of groovy. And uh, so this guy wrote this book about the 60s. See, here it is. It's, what is it? it's 73 already? And uh, he wrote this book about '73, and he called it the good times, the good old days. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I said, though, you mean, oh, yeah, 69 is a good time. Yeah, I'll never forget that. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Bring back those old wonderful days. Uh, yes, Kent State, all those great groovy things. And uh, he uh, yeah, he said, to, yeah, it's uh, good old days. And so uh, I, I suspect uh, that even as I speak now, I've been on the air, let's say, uh, 16, 17, 18 minutes now. Do you remember? Do you remember way back to 11:15? Remember those days? Oh yeah, such a good time. But uh, that's the way it goes, you know. Uh, time goes on. And uh, gee, do you remember 11:23? Uh, uh, gee, that was great. Uh, that's part of the old and goldies and uh yeah you hear that on of course you hear that i think that's uh, called uh, the pimple rock syndrome station uh which uh, as uh, any good uh, any good uh, hard rock jock can tell you uh, that which was published more than 15 20 minutes ago has already the, entered the golden halcyon uh, period of uh, you know with white christmas all those great old and goldies and uh <laughs> and uh, this is uh and 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 I think this is also uh associated with the uh, the Americans exaggerated sense of the passage of time that almost everything today is related to time uh very much so uh no longer do people relate to uh incidentally that word is another word that's a great word of our of our moment in in existence relate uh, there's a commercial where a girl is shown relating to yogurt. One does no longer likes yogurt or dislikes yogurt, one relates to yogurt. Have you seen that commercial? And it's a it's a kind of a it's a kind of a bucolic commercial where you see this girl tripping around in what looks like the weeds and uh, yes, and she's looking extremely uh, uh, sexy in the weeds there, all by herself, which is ironical. And finally, the music rises and swells to almost sexual uh, overtones and implications. You know, it's the kind of music they used to have behind scenes, where uh, where uh, let's say uh, George Segal was having a dramatic, uh, impassioned embrace with Barbara Streisand. These are two very sexy people by today's movie standards. And that uh, George and Barbara are having this, this tremendous moment. And uh, a little classical music there, if you will, please. Yes, that's it. that's it. That's the mood we want. And George looks deep into Barbara's eyes. And, of course, you know very well that the, that the camera angles have been carefully worked out by a great pact between MCA and, and uh, William Morris. William Morris represents George, and MCA represents Barbara. And uh, just out of camera range are 425 very, very gimlet-eyed agents, all very carefully measuring camera angles. And uh, it's very important, you know, one uh, has to be seen from one's good side with the lighting. He's exactly right. And when two major performers come together, one does not just say, Hey, Charlie, let's take it from this angle. No way. It's all carefully worked out. And then just at the precise moment, when George Siegel's lips touch Barbara Streisand's lips, the music rises.
2: Henry Mancini
0: is in the saddle. Henry Mancini has created once again the romantic interlope. Flap across the scene. Waves crash against the cliffs. The earth trembles. And George Siegel has kissed Barbara Streisand. And my God, once again, mankind knows the reason for being
2: and existence.
0: <laughs> 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 thank you, thank you. That was just right. That was just right. My God, that was good. Reset that in there, Ed. We'll use that. <laughs> Uh, lay a little goody on him there uh, to show him Shepard can still do it and you think Bob and Ray are funny but uh, nevertheless it's uh, <laughs> the real thing but uh, seriously though friends uh, as uh, Bert Parks used to say so fetchingly seriously friends and neighbors uh, we are living in times when uh, when uh, everything is uh, as of the instant and it better be them well this instant not last instant uh, it's, uh, you know, it's very important to cling to the moments as they go past. It's not at all uncommon now to find seven- and eight-year-old kids talking about the good old days. And uh, they're right. I mean, the good old days, yes. Uh, the good old days were like 10 o'clock uh, in the morning if they happened to be talking at 3. And, uh, and uh, there's no question about it. Everything is judged now by time in our, la- in our land. It's all time. So people used to write letters to you. I can see it in, in the letters that come to, to you, see. Uh, it used to be that, the, gee, that was a funny bit. Now they all start out, uh, you know, it sounds to me, uh, listening to you, that you are of my age group. Now, whatever group it is, and you uh, you can be a ten-year-old kid writing to you, or a seventy-year-old person. They all, you know, they all relate to this. As if uh, to to appreciate something that is not of your specific age group seems somehow it has to be explained. (laughs) It has to be. Now, can you imagine saying, "Well, I cannot really understand Beethoven because he's of another age group. After all, he's two hundred seventy-six years old." how can one understand uh, Thomas Jefferson? He's, let's see, he's over 212 years old now. That's ridiculous. I mean, you know, I can't buy that. Uh, so, so time is, is today of a prime consideration in every, in every possible situation that we run into, right? I was listening to two radio stations simultaneously the other day, and curiously enough, each one was giving out a different time. Well, it's understandable because the one station was uh, was involved in uh, old and goldies of the 1970s, you know, back in 71 and 72. So they were a good seven or eight minutes behind every time they gave the time. And uh, the other station was a contemporary hard rock now station, and their time was a good eight or maybe 12 minutes ahead of Western Union time, which I happen to have in the same studio. So uh, everything is relative, friends. Einstein was right. You know, don't don't you know who Einstein was? He was the second guy from the left in the Rolling Stones. You know, they called him the Rock in them days. But uh, he, uh, (laughs) yeah, I think that's a great uh, name for a rock group. E is equal to MC squared. Just let it go at that. Let them think that one out. Please, Ed, would you please? I just feel classical tonight, friends. Here
1: we go now. See? <laughs> Oh, pram pram pam Hold it, hold pam hold, hold it there.
0: I'm showing off. Hold it there. I don't like that. That's a, that's a bad thing to do. And uh, while we're showing off, I want to show the rest of them stations that we, too, have commercials. Please, Barclays. Don Cricky for Barclays Travelers Checks talking to Mrs. Nancy Padgett of Manhattan. Oh, yeah, I know her. Right. Have you used Barclays before? Yes, for several years. Uh, I find them uh, a better uh, received check than the checks hmm. that I used to use. Where are you sense. going on this trip? We're going to France and Morocco in June and May and then in July we're going to Russia and Yugoslavia.
2: You better take your tin hat Barclays I mean, are acceptable everywhere you've been. Oh, yes, Susan, I, like that I was surprised
0: days. when I first bought them I didn't think they Especially would, around Morocco. I know that place. We had no problems anywhere and, uh, they seem a bit more prestigious than the yeah. other checks we used to use.
2: You've never had any problem with Barclays? Those old dollars, you, you know, a, they don't, the don't make it anymore. It's just everywhere.
0: <laughs> no problem at all. And we've been in some very wild places. Oh, yeah. Oh, Turkey, Yugoslavia, Bul- Bulgaria. Uh, we've used them without a problem all over the world. I can hear a Bulgarian hearing his place referred to as a wild place. On Long Island, Barclays Travelers' Checks, and it's spelled with a Q-U-E, are available free of charge to their customers only at Dollar Savings and Loan in Malvern expressway federal savings and loan lake ronconcomo lake ronconcomo there is such a lake no it's lake ronconcomo that's right i'm sorry but to maintain the correctitude here uh, while we're on the subject of uh, of the balloon do you mind if i bring back that terrible balloon you know the guy to come down but of course this is part of the romance of our time people believe they can do anything uh, and uh, i guess it's the jonathan livingston seagull syndrome now, I don't know whether you know anything about seagulls. But seagulls don't have to practice the way that book pretends they have to do to learn how to fly. They fly just naturally. They do. I'm sorry, Mr. Bach. Uh, seagulls fly. And they, they don't take the facetious view towards flying that you do. You know, practicing stalls. And uh, practicing chandelles. They just do it. And I say this as a licensed pilot. Uh, that is not to say that flying is not practical nor fun. It is both. But uh, then again, on the other hand, uh, you can also stand on your head. Some people get very good at standing on your head. Now that does not necessarily mean that this is the a natural attribute of man to go around, you know, balanced on his head. No way. But you can get very good at it and quite graceful. You know, watch this. Whoop, whoop. And then up you go on top of the head there. And uh, say, hey, All right, now, balance them footballs on my feet. Hoop, hoop, one, two, three, hop, alley-oop. All right, you can do all these things. Practice, stick-to-itiveness. But it doesn't prove a damn thing, except you learn how to stand in your head. My Uncle Carl could tear the Chicago phone book in half. Now, the Chicago phone book weighs roughly like twice the Manhattan phone book. Did you know that? Well, because they have a Chicago phone book. Here we have Manhattan, Queens. We have it all divided up, you know. There is a Chicago phone book that takes seven men and a camel to carry around. Because they don't, you know, they don't pretend. They don't divide their town up in all little places, you know, like Oak Park phone book, uh, Lake Forest phone book, uh, uh, you know, Southside phone book, Loop phone book, nothing. They they, they got a phone book. And some people just lay a slab of Formica on top of it and makes a damn good coffee table. Now, uh, when you tear a Chicago phone book in half, you're tearing a phone book in half, man. And my Uncle Carl used to stand up and any time the party got dull, say, Hey, watch this and he grabbed the Chicago phone book and the people say he's gonna tear it in half. Look at that.
1: But you can't do it. Oh no, he'll never do it.
0: Chicago phone book torn in half. Of course it plays hell if it's your phone book. From that day on, you got to look up the numbers in two halves of the book. But uh, nevertheless, this plagued the Chicago phone company for years. Guys like my Uncle Carl used to use it to demonstrate manual dexterity and superior talent. And uh, he did it. He practiced it. And you know how they beat that? Well, the Chicago phone book company came out with a phone book that had a dotted line around it. And it said, tear here. And uh, it just killed the whole act. Because, you know, a three-year-old kid could tear it. You know, they had it the perforated like a check, like that. Well, that ended it. And uh, all I got to say, all I got to say is that's the way with life, you know? <laughs> For every action, there's a reaction. Right? Yes, sir. Man must continually cover up his tracks. And so uh, this poor guy with a with balloon... Uh, he's out there, you know. He came down. He's all, yeah. You know, he's all right. But the, any, he, all he could have done was to go to any 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 nearest pilot, and he could have told them. And I told you beforehand, didn't I, Jerry? Right. And uh, you know, and and, and any time any guy takes off in defiance of all the various physical forces, with some fat-headed remark that says, "Man has always wanted to just take everything and pack it all in and reach for the stars." You know that guy ain't going to make it. Now, if a man says, I have calculated the, the various uh, vectorial forces that deal with this problem, that uh, after 17 years of uh, solid calculation, I know that I can make it. When he said, if I make Italy, it's fine. If I make France, it's fine. And if I make uh, Germany and possibly Ireland, I will consider that a, uh, a, a correct voyage. He ain't going to do it. Are you aware that when Lindbergh flew the Atlantic, every last ounce in that airplane was calculated down to the many ounces, in fact, even so much that they weighed the weight of the chicken sandwich that he carried with it? Did you know that? And at no point did he say, when he was uh, taking off, man has always wanted to reach for the stars, and whether I make it or not, I will be reaching for the stars. No way. He just
2: went... (coughs) That
0: was it. He knew what he was doing. Now, uh, I learned this very early in life, that uh, to do something that involves a scientific... uh, A scientific and... and I might also add since science is basically a a system of putting into classification the various physical forces that we have around us. That's what science is. An attempt to know and put them into a workable classification system. That uh, Very early in life, I learned a lesson which has never left me. And it involved that romantic concept of, gee, wouldn't it be great to build an airplane in the basement and take off, flapping your wings? Oh, in fact, uh, th- there is a current belief among uh, among a lot of people. Gee, wouldn't it be groovy to learn how to fly a glider, to soar? looks so easy, the plane. You, know, there's a, you see them on TV, you know, they're constantly doing this, floating back and forth. Oh. Therein lies... One of the great disillusionments of your time. Yes, indeed. You're aware of this, aren't you, Ed? Mmm. That big old fist is out there. And it don't care whether you're Jonathan Livingston Seagull or not. And you better know about it. And how I learned very early uh, this... uh, I'm about to tell you a grisly story. So make sure that the kids have been... ...have been hammered into insensibility, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, have have, uh, have a little, uh, have a little uh, softening of the blow here, because man is a romantic creature, and I'm not anti-romance, oh no, no way, no way, I'm pro-romance, but the minute you're dealing with physical forces, you better couple your romance with knowledge, I mean real knowledge. Else, you might find yourself at two hundred feet deep, in very cold water, with a very large shark devouring your liver, which is not romantic. Now, speaking of romantic, I, I, uh, I, I I'm, I'm really fascinated by, not not many news stories come along really grab me by by the romantic, uh, you know, the romantic side of it. But uh, I'm fascinated by these guys that are that are diving on the Andrea Doria. But you notice this is a highly scientific, well-prepared <laughs> expedition that took years in the making. They didn't say, "Hey, Charlie, what do you say we put the pot over our head and you lower me down and uh, you take this hose and I'll breathe through the hose." And I no, no, no way. Although this is the. Common, I, I guess this is why Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which is unmitigated romantic pap as far as I'm concerned, is so popular with many people. Because it, 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 uh, it really, in effect, says all you got to do is try. Anything you try, you can do. And that would be nice. But it doesn't happen to be the case. It leads many a guy to swimming underwater, trying to make it to Ireland from seven miles out. and and uh, it's a a sad thing and again uh, uh, the the, the romantic uh, man should always have these fantastic aspirations but he should also know what he's up against in other words if you're going to get into the middle of the Amazon jungle you better know a little bit about anacondas just a little just a wee bit not too much to keep you out but enough so that when they do show up you'll know what to do That's the point. Well, one Sunday afternoon, I was roughly seven, eight, maybe nine at the time. And it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. Nice, beautiful summer day. And I was out on the porch. Do you know what porches are? Any of you ever heard of a porch? Well, uh, you'll have to... You'll have to go to your neighborhood translator, somebody who knows something about life outside of New York, who's been out there. He'll tell you what a porch is. He may even explain a basement, if you ask him what that is. Uh, He may even tell you what a driveway is. Uh, But nevertheless, I'm out on the porch. I walked out on the porch, and we had this swing on the porch, which is a common uh, uh, implement of of, uh, fun and games on many porches. And around this porch, there was large snowball bushes. Now, if you don't know what a snowball bush is, it's difficult to explain, but it is a bush and has these large things growing on it. They're white and they smell great. And uh, you walk out, and it was a beautiful day. It was 11 o'clock in the morning, and I had no idea where I was about to go, but I do know it was Sunday when I saw a sight which has remained in my consciousness like it's been printed on, on an eternal Kodachrome slide. I walked out, and and, uh, the the street that we lived on was kind of a wide street at that point, concrete, you know, big wide street. And it was a house across the street from us and a couple of houses down and, you know, a little vacant lot and houses all around. This was not the country. People have an idea. I grew up in the country. If you call Newark the country, okay. So I, I walked out on the porch. And I smell the snowball bushes. And, 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 and all of a sudden, I hear around me, I, around me, I, I, I'm conscious of this, of this noise. It seemed to come from all directions. It was a low. It's getting louder. I can't believe it. Coming right over the house, across the street, coming right at me, is an airplane. It's coming right at me. (laughs) Fantastic scene. And it comes right at me and goes right over our house. It roared over the top of our house, directly over my head, about nine feet above the roof. It was unbelievable. And of course, instantly, people, you hear people are hey, oh, ah, they're yelling oh, all, and, and it seemed like it was everything hung for a second. And as that plane roared over, it's there was a silence then, and then, boom, it had crashed. I turned and ran down the steps and up the driveway and through the vacant lots, and in the next street, there was a vacant lot. And it was this great, tremendous, roaring flame. Thousands of people roared out. And all stood around it. It had crashed into this hill. Everybody stood there on this Sunday. And I remember a guy talking to us about it. Somebody, my dad, come out. what, what happened, what, what? Happened? And of course, the plane was gone, you know? And then it came out, the story. Two brothers had bought some plans on how to build your own airplane. And they did. They built it. They finished it, got in it, started up the motor, and they were airborne maybe 12 minutes. And I saw the end of the great dream and made an indelible impression on it. Not look before you leap. Learn before you flap your wings. That's all. (laughs) And there's a lot of things to learn about. Oh, gravity. Water pressure. Density altitude. Do you know what density altitude is, friends? Well, it's been the thing that's killed many a guy, because he didn't know about it. These are all, uh, you know, little incidentals. And so Jonathan rose high and high, higher and higher into the cold blue air, and looked down upon the green hills of Earth. Send just 25 cents for the completely detailed plans and instructions, satisfaction guaranteed, or your money back within 10 days. WOR New York and RKO radio station. Stay tuned for John Wingate.